The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast series created by Mercedes Lackey and Steve Lippin. Blood in Red Square, Part 1. Written by Steve Libby. Read by Veronica Jaguer. The crowd of Muscovites roared for blood in Red Square. The assemblage, two or three thousand strong, was swallowed up by the vastness of the square where the armies had paraded. Militia in riot gear corralled the protesters, who expended their rage in chanting slogans and applauding when a slogan had run its course. The largest of the signs they hoisted into the warm afternoon air were legible to the sharp eyes of Natalia Nikolaevna Shostakovich from the window in the hallway of Block 14, the Presidium, in the collection of governmental buildings. We don't need a savior, one read. Spaskaya, for savior, was written and underlined in the red of the Soviet flag. How clever, she thought in disgust. The Spaskaya Gate, Savior's Gate into the Kremlin, had been shut to the crowd, a sign that the militia expected trouble. Ivor Triganov was a glorified thug, a rich oligarch who flaunted his wealth more arrogantly than the fugitive Berezovsky, or Russia's formerly richest man, Mikhail Khodorkovsky. Yet he comported himself as a modern Robin Hood, contributing to charities and cavorting with celebrities while his empire played fast and loose with the tissue-thin laws of the new capitalist economy. But he'd armored himself with lawyers and powerful friends. When Natalia kicked down his door, literally, and something she secretly adored doing at least once a month, he only laughed at her as though she were the evening's entertainment. Come to take me on a date, Red Savior? he asked with a smirk, making his fellow party-goers titter like characters at a Tolstoy ball. A broken arm and bloody nose later, Triganov had stopped laughing. His eyes promised equally bloody revenge, in his own way. Now, the smoke of two packs worth of her proletarsky cigarettes wafted in the hallway, outside the council chamber, where Director Yevgeny Murov and the rest of the leadership of the FSO, the Federal Protection Service, grilled the militia detective who accompanied her on the bust. Lieutenant Sestimir Romanov had been her partner during her tumultuous stint in the militia. She didn't listen to his advice, either. "'You're like an American rock star,' a deep voice said behind her. "'Your fans await you.' She didn't turn around. Supernaut had removed his immense helmet. He stood too close to her. The man was seven feet tall without the bulky scarlet armor that made him into a giant walking flamethrower. Natalia was used to being taller than most men she met. With Supernaut, she was reminded of her childhood, and the bullies she'd plot her revenge on. Turning only enough to blow smoke at his face, she said, Shut up, Vasily Georgievich. Bah, leave your commissar alone. Molotov the hammer, nearly two feet shorter than the giant, craned his neck to meet the man's gaze. Right now the last thing she needs is your insubordination. Fine. Orosho. I'll just keep my mouth shut until a vacancy in CCCP leadership appears. He smirked at Molotov. 
that mob is as ready to kick out the communists as I am. Red Savior waved off Molotov's angry retort. Enough, Dovarich. If you ignore him, he wanders off to find somewhere else to boast. She ground out her cigarette on the tiled floor, inciting one of the caretakers hovering over the collection of heroes to dash in with a whisk broom. The man achieved a perfect balance of deference and admonition in his quick movements. As a final warning, he placed a ceramic ashtray on the table at Red Savior's elbow, then bowed and left. They don't need a Red Savior, she mused, turning away from the window to survey her gathered troops. The CCCP, Super Sobretiv Sovetsky Revolutionarov, or Super Brotherhood of Soviet Revolutionaries, had come out in force to support her during this hearing to determine her future as commissar. She'd only been on the job for six months, promoted over several heroes with decades more service. Her father, the original Red Savior, had led the team in the 1950s during the early stages of the Cold War. Common sentiment was that she was selected for show, a last-ditch effort to win back the affections of an increasingly anti-communist Russian public. The beautiful, charismatic daughter of the famous war hero would surely lead the CCCP back into the hearts and minds of the Russian people. Yet her tenure had been a litany of one public relations disaster after another. Breathless news stories of the lovely new commissar, were supplanted by news bulletins of brutal raids on drug labs, accusations of backroom interrogations, and finally the arrest of the popular billionaire Trigonov, who was injured in the course of resisting arrest. Many hardliners lauded her heavy-handed methods. Many more politicians cried out for censure. Some questioned the need for a metahuman branch of the Federal Protective Service at all. Only the movie star glamour of the state-sponsored metahuman team had protected them from the communist loss of power during perestroika. Now, the most glamorous of them all had used up their goodwill. Their garish dress uniforms could not have looked more out of place in the elegant neoclassical corridors of the Presidium. Home. Supernaut resembled a red fire engine tipped on its end. Molotov, the hammer, contrasted him with a crisp black suit with red piping. Petrograd's armor had been styled after the MiG fighter plane, trapped inside it because of the clumsy machinations of the 1940s Soviet science. He sat like an awkward, isolated teen on a divan. Soviet, as elegant as ever, read from a children's book to the stony chug, who came up to her shoulder but seemed to fill the space with his squat bulk. The old men of CCCP, Russian Winter, Siberian Tiger, Svetak, the original Torch, and Soviet Bear muttered amongst themselves with their usual scowls. Further down the corridor, the husband and wife team of Ivor and Tigana Zemanov, armed with their prototype laser gauntlets, leaned against each other, apart from the other heroes, never comfortable in their uniforms. Legs crossed in a lotus position, Natalia's friend and mentor, Meng Daoye, People's Blade, seemed at ease in the alien environment. The diminutive Chinese girl housed the 2,000-year-old spirit of a legendary general, Shen Tui, and wielded his deadly sword as well. She'd trained Natalia in Chinese martial arts so ancient that modern practitioners had no name for them.
The serene smile on her face diffused some of Natalia's anxiety. Gathered in a cluster were some of the newer faces in CCCP, heroes she had recruited herself. Firebird and the Saturnine martial artist Jerevit, named for a Slavic war god. Netapir, whose powered armor was the most advanced of what Natalia thought of as the metal men. Requiem, still in her teens, no older than Natalia's kid sister, and possessing of the mutant ability to shape sound into devastating blasts. Dynamo, blue-skinned, electric, and shy. My troops, Red Savior thought. My people, have I lost their respect as well? They do not look me in the eye. As she gazed at the anxious members of CCCP, those furthest down the corridor sprang to attention, saluting an unseen arrival. An instantly recognizable, wide-shouldered figure appeared, silhouetted by the window as though reenacting a constructivist propaganda poster. His gray hair caught the afternoon light to outline his head in a halo. Boryats himself. Workers' champion. Hero of the Russian people. He'd marched in the October Revolution, fought in the Great Patriotic War, counseled Lenin, enforced Stalin's directives, founded CCCP itself, and watched the birth and death of the Soviet Union. Bullets could not pierce his skin. His hands could rend steel. His legs could propel him miles at a leap. Workers' champion inclined his head at the salutes as he passed the heroes. He headed straight for Natalia. Lamplight revealed his expression to her. Grim lines, unwavering gaze. She lit another cigarette. Natalia Nikolaevna, he said, discarding her honorific. I have been summoned to appear before the FSO to deliver my opinion on your competency. Is this how you repay my advocacy? Years receded as she braced against his withering glare. She was a child again, intimidated beyond words by Uncle Boryets, her father's comrade, the great hero worker's champion. Only once had he given her a kindly smile and a pat on the head. Since then, the words he spoke to her were barbed with judgment and disappointment. The cigarette in her mouth helped to anchor her to adulthood, although she'd smoked since she was thirteen. She straightened her back. Did you read my report? Of course. He knew everything that concerned law enforcement in Russian and metahuman activity in particular. You write with the impatience of a schoolgirl. Perhaps if you took more than five minutes to explain your evidence against Trigonov, the council wouldn't jump to assumptions. They jump when Putin says jump, she said, glancing back to the protesters. They jump. Anger clouded his already dour countenance. When you rampage through the countryside like a Cossack. Natalia winced. Her fearlessness dwindled in the face of this man, as always. Comrade, Trigonov looted government funds for his own purposes. I followed the trail of bribes right to his front door. My contacts... Your contacts are not material witnesses. We are no longer Soviets, you foolish girl. She flushed. But, sir, if I'd waited for... 
He cut her off with a curt wave. Save it for the director. He turned away to look out the window at the square full of angry Muscovites. Natalia tried to reorder her thoughts and stifle the panic welling up inside her. Never in my years have I seen such a thing, workers' champion murmured, for her ears only. She threw down her half-finished cigarette, daring the attendant to sweep it up with a poisonous look. It smoldered on the tile, discarded, a liability. Her troops turned their attention away from her and her anger. Even Molotov became interested in the portrait of a Bolshevik functionary rather than face her. The double doors of the council chamber mocked her with the dissent they concealed. She wished they would open, to end the suspense. As if obeying her, the door swung open. Lieutenant Sestimir Romanov ducked his head unconsciously as he loped out of the chamber, followed by several of the council. His lanky form slumped in defeat. Sestimir, she said. You told them about our investigation, didn't you? He shook his head, avoiding her eyes. I'm sorry, he murmured, pushing past her. Sorry for what? She said to his retreating back. Sorry for telling us the truth. A voice dripping with assurance said at her side. Arkady Levich Korovin, Undersecretary of Intelligence for FSO, favored Red Savior with a patronizing smile. He leaned in close to her as if at a party. Your friend tried to paint as pretty a picture as he could of your antics, but facts are facts. Triganov is a criminal, she said. That is a fact. Perhaps, but facts can interfere with the truth. Korovin was a few inches shorter than Natalia, but he spoke with a confidence won from years of bureaucratic battles. We're taking a brief recess. May I have a word with you? Without waiting for a response, he lightly took her by the arm and guided her to a foyer away from the gathered heroes. A smaller window afforded her yet another view of the protest in support of Triganov. I have little stomach for this nonsense, Arkady Levitch. I am a soldier, not a politician. How many speeches must I tolerate? Korovin sighed, still holding her arm. How did we become so antagonistic towards each other? We both serve the FSO, Natalia Nikolaevna. Our duties are clear-cut. Your duty is to boss around a staff of train conductors to evacuate Kremlin officials, she said with scorn. The original function of the FSO was beneath her and her team. CCCP shouldn't even be under your purview. We shouldn't argue, my friend. He paused, daring her to question the familiarity. You and I both know Triganov belongs in prison. Ah! Red Savior grinned at him. Finally, someone sees reason. The Council shares the same sentiment. But this is not 1980. We are no longer a totalitarian state. Triganov is a powerful, and very popular, figure in Russia right now. We must tread very carefully with the likes of him. You can smooth out the ruffled feathers, Arkady Levitch. Talk to Molotov. He has many friends in GRU. I will, of course, do my best. But how will we save you? 
I need no saving. I am doing my job. She pursed her lips. The council will lecture me about due process and let me go. Not this time. Corvin moved closer. You've stepped on too many toes. Triganov has allies throughout the government, and they're all screaming for blood. The council may sacrifice you to save CCCP. Red Savior blinked. You're joking. I wish I was. It upsets me deeply. Korovin's hand fell on hers. Natalia, I agree with you. You are in the right. But what you need is a champion to fight this battle for you. His breath touched her cheek. A knight in shining armor to save the savior. I want to be your friend. Natalia put a hand on his shoulder. What kind of a friend? One who protects his woman, Corvin said, his voice low. One who can fight for her with all his heart. A lover? Da, he whispered. She squeezed his shoulder until the bones ground against each other. His eyes widened in pain. Do you think I am a helpless princess, Arkady Levitch? She said through gritted teeth. Do you dare suppose you can take advantage of this hearing to cozen your way into my bed? I just... You just do your duty, Undersecretary. I will forget this conversation. She pushed him back, dismissing him. He massaged his shoulder with tears of pain in his eyes. You'll regret that, Commissar. He said, I was your only hope. I am never without hope. Get out of my sight. Corvin stormed off, trying to flex his shoulder without drawing attention to it. Red Savior emerged from the foyer and watched him re-enter the council chamber. She tapped out another cigarette from her pack. Molotov excused himself from a conversation with Worker's Champion as the councilman flew past him. Another victory for diplomacy, he said to her without smiling. Why don't I need to guess what happened? Coravin is a pig. She lit the cigarette and blew out a plume of smoke. Why do all these officials think I would look good on their arm? Because you would. You have your mother's looks. Molotov shrugged. And your father's stubbornness. I warned you to tread carefully six months ago. I've been working. You've been making enemies. Molotov indicated Worker's Champion with a tilt of his head. They dragged the old wolf out of this cave this time. Please, Molo, I'm about to get lectured by sheltered men who consider CCCP an anachronism. From you, I'd expect a little sympathy. Molotov squeezed her hand, a brotherly gesture far removed from Coravin's smarmy advances. You have it, Sestra. I've done everything I could. Sometimes a hero's best friend is a man on the inside. But you've dug a deep hole. A guard saluted them. Madame Commissar, 
Your presence is requested. The young man's face was impassive. I'm coming. Natalia disengaged from Molotov. A mischievous grin flickered briefly across his face. What? I just wish I could see their faces when you blow up at them, he said. I will keep my head. The grin returned with a head shake. Hmm. She squared her shoulders and strode into the council chamber to confront her superiors. Over the century, the council chamber had seen diplomats and kings, bureaucrats and soldiers. Commissar Red Savior entered the chamber with the bearing of an empress. These cold-faced men were her superiors, with absolute power over her, but she'd never let on she was aware of it. To her, they were old men, they were weak, they were vindictive and arbitrary, and thus worthy only of contempt. Her attitude had not won her many friends on the FSO Council of Directors. She lowered herself into the chair set before the council and assumed a stiff position, knowing her military-styled CCCP dress uniform looked particularly intimidating in this pose. The picture window to her right offered yet another view of Red Square and the protesters. The chief director, Stuckov, grunted with what must have passed as amusement. "'You've caused quite a stir this time.' He waited for her to respond. She didn't. Do you believe you have something to prove with your shenanigans? Da. She paused for effect. That FSO and CCCP are not meek lambs who stand aside while wolves steal from the motherland. Indeed. The chief director sipped from a cup of coffee as though he were chatting with a recalcitrant daughter over breakfast. I hate to repeat myself. We've discussed your behavior several times before. What makes this incident different from the rest? He let the question hang in the air until she had to answer. Trigonov has the public tricked into thinking he is some kind of benefactor. Wrong. Trigonov is a benefactor, regardless of what evidence you have unearthed. Her face flushed. I have documented two dozen cases of bribery, corruption, insider trading. The chief director cut her off. I've read your report. It is a matter for the courts. A matter for lawyers. Not for metahumans with an axe to grind. Buzzmy, she swore. Does he have to commit murder on national television before you take steps? Yes. That would be preferable to having a wild-eyed communist holdover kick down his door and assault him. Korovin cleared his throat and flexed his shoulder. He'd snitched, she'd realized. When my father was commissar, CCCP wasn't bound by these diplomatic niceties. We have adopted the American terminology of civil rights, Commissar. Corvin's voice dripped with venom. If I thought you had a future with FSO, I'd suggest you read up on them. Natalia bit back a retort 
and turned to follow a movement in the square that had caught her eye. A blue Delex delivery truck had parked at the fringe of the protest. No driver emerged. She wondered if they'd invited a musical act to perform protest songs against her. Commissar, Stogoff said. Please pay attention to our discussion. I am listening, she said, disgruntled. She'd lost any momentum she might have had. Coravin stepped back in. Ephesso has spent money and time to diffuse the negative publicity stemming from her zeal. You're living in the past, a strange sight in a woman so young. We were encouraged to believe that your youth and enthusiasm and your charm would smooth relations between CCCP and a public eager to move away from the memory of totalitarian communism. Russia has rejoined the world, Natalia Nikolaevna. That means we don't brutalize rich men because we're jealous of their success. You know that's not why I arrested him. Or broke his arm. To quote the Americans again, he switched to English. Denial is not just a river in Egypt. Another Delex truck pulled up close behind the first, drawing her eye. I don't follow. That's been obvious for months. Corvin shook his head and glanced at the chief director, as if handing her back to him. It is a pun, the chief director told her, as if she were a child. A silly one. Regardless, the council has discussed a reorganization of CCCP. You can't do that, she said. Boryets, a worker's champion, is here. He'd never agree to it. He founded CCCP before you were even born. It is our responsibility now, and for your information, we have already discussed the matter with him. He has agreed to come out of retirement to lead... Commissar, I must insist that you pay attention to the proceedings. Natalia had been staring at the third Delex truck, parking on the heels of the second. The space between the trucks wasn't enough to squeeze a body through. The crowd hadn't reacted to them, but a knot grew in her stomach. Da, she said, eyes glued to the picture window. You're being demoted, Natalia Nikolaevna, the chief director said in a soft voice. The council has no wish to humiliate you or to dishonor your contributions. You'll be given the rank of associate commissar under workers' champion's direction. Associate, da, she agreed. A fourth, fifth, and sixth truck were completing a semicircle around the protest. They couldn't possibly unload their cargo while parked so close together. The only time she'd seen so many Delex trucks at once was when she'd driven past their depot early in the morning as the fleet departed for its rounds. Commissar! The chief director pounded his coffee cup on the table, splashing coffee. An attendant hurried to clean up the mess. I will not be ignored! His jowls quivered. Her anxiety had reached her chest. She stood. Something is wrong, she said. Natalia, sit down. 
Korovin said. Shut up, Svenja, she said, moving towards the window as if in a dream. Time slowed as her instinct screamed that tragedy was seconds away. The chief director shouted again, the council muttered amongst themselves, and she reached a hand to the window pane. As she touched the cold glass, the metal sides of the trucks shredded. Metal figures burst out of the trucks, dozens, hundreds, as if packed in the trailers like sardines. Their chrome armor reflected the sunlight in hyper-real starbursts. Guns the size of bazookas pointed at the crowd. The figures towered over the protesters at nearly three meters. She hissed at the scene, spinning on her heels. Behind her, Corvin was the first to process what she'd seen. Terrorists! he shouted. Natalia sprinted for the door. The chief director called her name. Where are you going? This building is full of officials who need to be evacuated. Do it yourself, she said, pushing a guard out of the way. Guard your trains, old man. In the hallway, members of the CCCP had gathered at the window. The cry had gone up. Red Savior didn't stop running. Fall in, she shouted. The heroes fell into step behind her. Natalia, workers champion said, matching her stride. What are you doing? Leading my troops, she said. You can fire me afterwards. Molotov sped up to her side, getting in workers champion's way. You have a plan, Sestra? The window at the end of the hallway loomed before them. Da. She raised her voice. Follow me down. Spread out and confront the terrorist. Protect the workers first. Energy coruscated around her hands. She let it build up and gain force. Five feet away from the window, she threw it forward in an enormous blast. French windows that had been assiduously cleaned and painted for a century exploded outward. Dave, 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 she yelled. Come on! By ones and twos, the heroes of CCCP burst through the hole in Block 14 of the Kremlin, either taking flight as Red Savior did on a plume of mutant energy, leaping with metahuman muscles like Molotov and Shug, or sliding down the ice ramp that Russian winter formed from the moisture in the air. The walls of the Kremlin stood at twenty meters, forcing Russian winter to maintain the elevation of the ice ramp. The warm summer afternoon turned chill at once, Plumes of vapor emerged from their mouths. The ice creaked and roared as it formed unnaturally fast. The CCCP had trained in this fast deployment maneuver dozens of times, yet Red Savior felt the chill in her heart. As quickly as they moved over the wall near the Savior's gate, she knew they were seconds away from a massacre. The fringes of the crowd recoiled from the metal giants. Screams arose in the square as awareness of the imminent danger moved through the crowd like a brush fire. The protesters surged away from the terrorist, an amorphous organism reacting instinctively to danger. The CCCP began to descend to the crowd below when the terrorists, moving with military precision, leveled their guns on the crowd. Blue energy exploded from their guns, cutting into the crowd. The impact of the blasts knocked the victims back into the crowd as though an artillery shell had struck. They were already too late. Squad Odin, engage! The fastest-moving aerial heroes, Petrograd, Netopir, Trans-Siberian, hurtled past her. Squad Dva, right flank, provide diversion! Casting themselves off the ice ramp, People's Blade led the charge of Jerovich, Igor Zamenov, Tigana Zamenov, Svetok, and Soviet Bear. 
Moltok and Worker's Champion, experienced combat veterans, followed them without prompting. The rest of you, crowd control. She gathered her energy at her feet to follow Squad Odin into battle. I am no mere militia. Supernaut used the hydraulics of his bulky armor to leap from the ice ramp over the crowd, landing in their midst. Flame gathered around his gauntlets. She cursed him. He'd never accepted her authority. Beneath her, Chug had paused on the ice ramp, clenching and unclenching his fists. Tears fell from his eyes. Chug not understand, he rumbled. Why are silver men mad at shouting peoples? They are bad men, Chug, she said. Go make them mad at you instead. Chug unleashed a primal roar, his whole body shaking, sending mineral-laden tears to freeze in a misty halo around his head. His legs tensed, and he leapt from the ice ramp into the nearest line of terrorists. The militia themselves had recovered first from the shock of the attack. Those nearest the attack opened fire on the armored terrorists with pistols. The bullets ricocheted off the chrome armor plating and whined piteously with spent energy as they littered the ground. The terrorists directed their fire at the militia, cutting them down without effort. The sound of the energy beams was almost animal in its cruelty. The police collapsed with shattered bones and torn skin. Petrograd and Netopir had reached the front lines. Their own armored forms were dwarfed by the giants surrounding the square. Neither hero's armor was built for hand-to-hand combat, yet they'd understood Red Savior's orders perfectly, draw fire away from the civilians. Petrograd unleashed his arm cannons in a wide spray. Something had jammed their microcom units, so she only heard his howl of rage as a word she'd heard her father utter with venom during his war stories. Fascista! She swooped in towards the line of terrorists and saw an emblem that awakened horror in the Russian collective memory. Images of tanks, barbed wire, devastated cities, and mounds of frozen dead flashed through her mind. A black swastika in a white circle on a flag of blood red. Govno, she cursed. They're Nazis, real Nazis. Red Savior accelerated towards her target, letting her mutant energy crescendo in her body until she felt as though she'd burst. By channeling the flow of the energy, People's Blade insisted it was her key that controlled it. She could release it in devastating bursts of force. The Nazi trooper's helmeted head turned up to watch her approach. Metal joints groaned as he elevated his gun to fire upon her. Two seconds, she gauged, for him to lock onto me. She twisted her body in anticipation of the blast. It came a second earlier than she expected. The beam blazed across her back, missing by an inch but burning her nerves regardless. She focused her rage at the sudden agony towards the trooper. Her fist glowed with energy. One hit should shatter his helmet. She'd knocked over a car with a well-placed, energy-augmented punch. The trooper was an easy target, slow and lumbering. She braked just enough to add her velocity to her punch and swung her fist at his head. The release of her energy would coincide with impact. Energy exploded in a shower of sparks. The Nazi's helmet rang like a bell. He swayed for a moment, then hefted a gauntlet the size of her head to retaliate. 
Что? Red Savior couldn't believe it. The armor had absorbed the punch as if it were a sandbag. She darted away from the trooper's clumsy swing and hit him with both fists on the top of the head. Again, no effect. The unnatural hum around the trooper intensified. Remembering her Sistema training, she let loose with a series of blows to his head and torso, expending quantities of energy that should have leveled a house. Behind him, the rest of his squad adjusted their aim to pick her off while he withstood her barrage. The more she hit him, the better a target she became. She knew she had to move before they opened fire. Commissar! The muffled shout was Neshapir's. The walking tank planted himself next to her and blasted the troopers with his own energy cannon, which glanced off their armor as harmlessly as her blows. They switched targets to the large, slow-moving armored Russian. A volley of beams lashed out at him, tearing his armor off in chunks, crushing the man inside. Yet, she howled as the body of the man once known as the Netapir crumpled to the ground like a bag of bones. The moment of distraction was all her opponent needed to connect. His metal fist caught her in the ribs and hurled her back into the panicking crowd. Stars erupted before her eyes. She spit blood and scrambled to her feet. Three militia fired hopelessly at the Nazis. A captain helped steady her. Commissar, we can't hurt them. Then stop trying! She pointed at the walls of the Kremlin. A strange sight caught her eye. One of the ceremonial guards at the Savior's Gate, dressed in a colorful medieval uniform, was trying to attract the protesters' attention by swinging his dulled halberd in the air and shouting. Over the tumult, no one paid attention. Savior's Gate, she told the militia captain. The wide gate had been blocked off by iron bars and a turnstile for the tourists. The legend of the gate was that it had protected Moscow from invasion. Get them through the gate, now! The captain nodded and shouted orders to his men. They turned their backs on the Nazi soldiers to herd the crowd towards the gate. One trait that made Red Savior a fierce leader on the field was her ability to assess a situation at a glance. Before she charged the trooper again, she took survey of the square. The trooper's trucks had penned in the protesters to prevent escape. A pair of immense floating metallic globes lurked beyond the trucks, flanked by more troopers. The troopers clustered in squads of five, coordinating their fire against CCCP heroes or the crowd. One squad shot over the heads of the crowd to destroy the facade of the building containing Lenin's tomb. Each of the CCCP heroes had attracted their own squad. The armor of the troopers withstood their attacks. Only Chug and Worker's Champion appeared to be holding their own against the Nazis, toppling them with mighty blows. Yet the troopers climbed back to their feet and grappled with the super-strong metahumans again. Red Savior couldn't understand it. Worker's Champion had gained a reputation for tearing apart panzer tanks in the Great Patriotic War. Either the Elder Hero's powers had waned as her father's had, or this Nazi armor was more than just a metal suit. She glimpsed his eyes, wild with freshly recalled hatred under disheveled hair. People's blades seemed no more than a child against the giant Nazis. She leapt from one to the next, drawing sparks when her purportedly magic sword glanced off their armored shells. Energy beams licked out at her and off into the sky. Natalia realized that she was using the sword only as distraction, to engage as many troops as possible, drawing their attention away from the innocents. 
She would reach a critical mass of adversaries, though, and an energy weapon would find its target, and tiny Fei-Li would die. Rekviem's sonic shrieks, audible over the din of the screaming crowd and gunfire, were cut sickeningly short. Red Savior saw her blonde hair and a pile of bodies where a Nazi squad had concentrated their fire. Molotov zoomed from one trooper to another, his super-strength allowing him to at least uproot the giants before they could slay more civilians. To the west, Russian winter combined his innate control over ice particles with Siberian Tiger's speed-freeze weaponry to erect ice barriers to protect the fleeing crowd. The energy beams of the troopers tore heavy chunks of ice from the air-sat walls, even as the two old heroes reformed them. Bit by bit, the ice walls diminished. That was all she saw in the brief moment of respite before the five troopers reoriented on her. Desperate for an escape route, the crowd had followed the militia's commands towards Savior's Gate, clearing spaces in the square like ripples from thrown pebbles in a pond. The troopers didn't track the fleeing protesters. She had succeeded in her immediate goal, to her own great peril. Or so she thought, until a tiny, grief-stricken face peeped up from behind a woman's bloody corpse at the trooper's feet. The little girl wailed for her mother to take her to safety, or she wailed for her mother's death, or at the madness of the moment. A Nazi paused at the sound, and lowered his gun to her head, execution-style. Unreinerischer Abschaum, came a guttural voice from the speaker grill. Over here, Svinja, Red Savior lurched forward. After expending so much energy, she needed time to build it up again before she could project it in a blast. Her heart constricted in horror. A rifle barked. The bullet spattered against the trooper's face mask. The muzzle of his energy cannon swung away from the girl to his new attacker. Director Coravin loaded another shell into the breach of the Mosin-Nagin carbine, acquired from a historical display down the corridor from the FSO council chamber. His smirk was gone, replaced with a grim scowl. Natalia wasted little time marveling at his surprise appearance. She rolled forward in a somersault to alight the body of the girl's mother. She seized the girl in her arms and expended a burst of energy from her feet to propel them just past the squad, just inches above the ground, and under the chassis of the Delac semi. Red Savior held the girl's head to her chest as they sped under the axle of the truck. They emerged beyond the line of trucks to see the rest of Red Square, all the way to the GUM department store. The metal spheres hovered with a teeth-gritting resonance. A devilish orange light illuminated human figures inside the war machines. Telescoping tentacles with barbed claws pulsed to an unseen rhythm. Dozens more troopers stood in formation around the machines, guarding an apparatus the size of a house. It bristled with stubby antennae and metal-cased conduits. Standing before the amassed troops was a Nazi in jet-black armor. Golden wings swept back from an elegant blast plate. A blood-red cape fluttered around his shoulders. The wind caught it, and revealed to Natalia a symbol etched into the armor in gold relief. The cape concealed it again before her eyes could glean what it was. Two troopers loaded a canister into a mortar twice the size of a conventional one. "'I'm scared,' the girl said in nasal, Americanized English. She was a tourist. "'Quiet!' The word came out harsh and clipped. The American girl sniffled. The officer raised a hand to wave forward a brace of troopers. Muzzles gaped at her like the mouths of a legion of devils. 
The cape had slipped off the officer's shoulder, though, and she could identify a sword over a rounded swastika. The symbol was oddly familiar, a childhood memory. But she had no more time to contemplate insignia. She directed energy into her fist and smashed it into the ground. Rubble clattered against the Dalek's truck. Fjörr! the officer shouted. Red Savior rolled herself and the girl into the hole she'd created as bolts of energy slammed into the asphalt where they'd crouched. She pressed the girl into the ground, absorbing the debris thrown by the explosions with her own back. It was like taking a shotgun blast at close range. Hundreds of bruises blackened her skin. The pain brought tears to her eyes. Smoke engulfed them. Natalia lifted the girl out of their makeshift trench and dragged her back under the truck as quickly as she could, bumping the girl's head against the underside of the chassis. "'Careful!' she hissed, partly to herself. The carnage hadn't waited on them. Energy weapons had eaten away at the fringes of the crowd, creating a wall of bodies five or six deep. Natalia looked for CCCP where the Nazis had clustered. Her strategy had worked too well. The troopers had closed in on individual heroes. Jarovit fought on with a broken arm, kicking and dodging metal fists. His mask had been torn off, and his face was awash with blood. The shy dynamo roared over the cacophony of his lightning bolts, stunning the troopers only long enough to avoid death. "'It's raining,' the girl in her arms said. Red Savior looked up. The mortar they'd spotted had fired, its report unheard in the chaos. A wicked yellow cloud formed over the crowd massing at Savior's gate, stinking of rotten garlic. The wind died just as the plume began to descend onto the square. She'd worked in the militia before, had studied terrorist weapons, but had only read about the smell of nerve gas. Yet she knew at once what it was. Their efforts to protect the civilians had only delayed their deaths. "'Close your eyes, little one,' she said. The girl covered her face with her hands. The square grew silent all at once, as the troopers waited for the gas to descend, unafraid of inhalation in their sealed suits. The exhausted CCCP heroes stared at the cloud in helplessness. Upturned faces of protesters watched death fall upon them. Hundreds had died in minutes under the cruel talons of the energy beams. Now the rest would join them, along with virtually every hero in CCCP, but for those in protective armor, or those who could fly above the cloud. She gasped with inspiration. She looked frantically for Petrograd. His perpetually aloft silver form had come to a halt above a squad of troopers. Petrograd! Her voice seemed tiny in the silent square. Petro! He turned his dented helmet head towards her. No one had ever seen his face. Mach 1, she called to him, pointing to the cloud. Now! Petrograd's armor had been optimized for supersonic flight, but he needed to build up momentum to achieve those speeds. He hesitated. They both knew the limits of his rocket pack. Then, with a crisp salute, he launched into the sky on a plume of exhaust. His rocket pack shook with the consumption of all his fast-burning fuel. He banked hard over the Kremlin, trailing white smoke. Flames spat from his rocket pack. His form shrank to a speck, then grew in size as he strafed the cloud of nerve gas, angling upwards. 
a sonic boom could exceed 100 pounds per square foot pressure, the equivalent of a sonic vacuum cleaner. Petrograd burned hotter and brighter as he blasted across the square. He was gone in the blink of an eye, too fast for the Nazis to fire upon. The nerve gas followed him up into the atmosphere, dispersing in the sonic boom that battered their ears. It was the loudest sound Red Savior had ever heard and it swallowed the lesser sound of Petrograd's rocket pack exploding and burning him alive. Black debris fell at the end of his vapor trail. She bit back the wail of grief inside her. A moment passed as the crowd digested what had happened. Then a single cry of relief swelled into a chorus, then an uproar. The Russians had stopped fleeing. Tigana Zemanov cradled her husband's broken body in a semicircle of triumphant Nazis. Natalia couldn't hear her curses over the roar of the crowd, but she saw the woman's final strike, a ball of flame that engulfed the troopers. It heated their armor bright red. The asphalt puddled around their feet. They incinerated her with their energy beams. But a stray bullet from a rifle. Could it have been Korovin's? Struck the shoulder of a Nazi. He flinched and blood spurted from the wound. The others backed off, their body language defensive. Focus, Natalia ordered herself. They're gone. Don't let them die for nothing. She took a deep breath to clear her mind. Tigana Zemanov had exposed the Nazi armor's weakness in her sacrifice, and Red Savior had three other walking flamethrowers on her team. Comrades! She rose into the sky, holding the girl in her arm. Comrades, we won't run any more. Burn these fascists out of the motherland. She pointed at Supernaut. Vasily, you want to lead? Start now. Melt their armor. Supernaut loosened the nozzles on his backup tanks. Flames billowed out from his gloves, his arms, in wide tongues of fire. Come on, fighter bird. The big man fanned his flames over the troopers. Firebird, unprotected in her gymnastic tights, joined Supernaut in creating a wall of flame. Her metahuman control over flame shaped his wild outpouring into a curving bank of fire that cut the Nazis off from the crowd. Spread it out! Red Savior flew near them. The heat from the wall brought sweat out on her forehead. Bleeding from a dozen wounds, Svetok stepped up next to the two flamethrowers. He too could ignite materials at a thought, and he added burning asphalt to the wall of fire. The flames licked twenty feet into the air. Red Savior landed. The troopers had backed away for a moment, and she realized that she still held a child in her hands. She set the girl down on the ground. Blood seeped out of a cut on the girl's head, giving Natalia a pang of guilt. "'Give her to me, Sestra,' said a calm female voice. Soviet, soaked in the blood of dying civilians, knelt by the girl and placed a hand on the head wound. The fear disappeared from the girl's face replaced by a serene calm. She fell asleep in Soviet's arms. The CCCP regrouped, those that remained. Worker's champion, his dress suit in tatters, Molotov breathing hard, People's Blade, her serenity replaced by cold determination, Soviet bear and Soviet, Chug, his stone face a mask of childlike rage. Where were Russian winter and Trans-Siberian? Where was Sweet Requiem, or Dynamo, or Jerovit? Had they died alone and in fear, 
like so many Russians this afternoon? The heroes seemed dispirited, shoulders hunching forward, steeling themselves for another attack on the Nazi horde. She wasn't sure they'd caused any enemy casualties. The roaring wall of fire painted their faces orange, like a dark age's fresco of hell. We must evacuate these people, workers' champion said, with a tone that brooked no argument. There is little time before the next wave. Yet, Natalia heard herself tell the greatest hero the Russian people had ever produced, and then she knew why. Yet, comrade Boryets, because we are the next wave. The fire weakens their armor enough for us to defeat them. This we must do. Workers' champion drew himself up, an impressive display. And what about the civilians, Natalia Nikolaevna? Her fear of him was gone. They are not civilians. She turned to face the crowd, waiting to see what their protectors would do to save them. They are my army. She expended some energy to hover before the onlookers. Tovarichi, she declared. These fascistas think they can herd Russians like sheep. Have they not forgotten what we taught them before? That Russians are wolves. Energy coruscated around her upraised fists. They think they can use you as bait to separate and kill us one at a time. Requiem's limp blonde hair came to mind, concealed from mourning eyes by the corpses of her dead countrymen. Instead, we'll assure them the collective strength of the Russian people. Director Korovin, bleeding from the forehead, stepped forward with the antique rifle. Tell us what to do, Commissar. Natalia showed them her teeth in a feral grin. Find a weapon. We're going to mix our spilled blood with some of theirs. For Mother Russia! Someone in the crowd cried out. The words spread through the crowd as fists pumped the air, many holding pieces of rubble or metal pipes. Protest signs with her name had been reduced to clubs. Outrage and anger had replaced the panic in their eyes. This is madness, workers' champion shouted at her from below. You're leading them to their deaths. She surveyed the crowd of pale Russian faces, intermixed with tourists of all nationalities, Middle Eastern, African, even archetypal Asian tourists with their cameras held aloft like weapons. The face of international brotherhood, she thought, but only when we come under attack does it show. Red Savior rewarded workers' champion's glare with a smile tinged with madness. She took up the chant with the crowd, For Mother Russia! Then she flew close to the trio of flame-throwing heroes. Push that wall out through their ranks. Give them a taste of the flames of revolution. Ha! Huh? Supernaut wagged his helmeted head in exaggerated bravado. You heard our commissar, comrades. Follow me. He dashed into the wall of fire. Svetok and Firebird raised their arms to encompass the wall, and with an enormous influx of air, the wall blew forward as if fanned by winds they couldn't feel. Nazi troopers cringed as the flames heated their armor to a crimson glow. Forward the proletariat! Red Savior bellowed. She let loose a blast of energy at the first trooper revealed. The energy exploded in a splash around him. Armor shards flinched off the Nazis. 
The crowd roared and surged forward. They hurled rocks, fired recovered police firearms, and screamed for blood. The CCCP heroes dashed ahead of them, combining their attacks on troopers. The flame and the charge took the Nazis by surprise. A pitiful handful of energy bolts shot out, missing heroes and civilians wildly. No stranger to mass warfare, People's Blade propelled herself through the air, her ancient blade, Jade Emperor's Whisper, held behind her in both hands. Using her momentum, she swung in a vicious arc at the head of a red-hot Nazi trooper. The blade sliced through overheated metal, flesh and bone. His head toppled to the ground and bounced with a hollow sound. A momentary silence fell over the crowd. People's Blade regained her footing and prepared to launch herself at another foe. They bleed like any man, she cried in accented Russian. The troopers' hesitation ended. They were vulnerable at last. The next volley of energy bolts found their marks, and dozens of protesters screamed in pain as their bones and flesh broke. The bolts cut a swath through the crowd, yet they stepped over their fallen neighbors, stopping only to pick up more rocks. Red Savior's army of the people advanced on their enemies. As the firewall passed over the Nazi battalions, revealing more targets, the sturdiest of her comrades threw themselves into the troopers with renewed ferocity. Worker's champion laughed the first time his powerful fingers closed the arm of a trooper and bent it backwards. Molotov, grim as ever, used a trooper as a battering ram to rattle the humans inside the armor. Many fell. Some did not get back up. Chug had gone berserk. His fists crushed body armor, helmets, and energy rifles in a flurry of rage. The troopers pounded on him and shot him point-blank, yet he only roared and threw them back into the flames. Push them back to the trucks! Red Savior doubted her commands could be heard over the cacophony. She drove a glowing fist into the chest of a trooper as his rifle spewed energy at her feet. He collapsed, gasping for air, and she let the concussive force of the rifle's blast add to her own airborne propulsion. From her vantage point, she saw Supernaut, Svetok, and Firebird grimly advancing, sweat pouring down their exposed skin. Supernaut stood partly in the flames, as if he were a demon in hell. The fiery trio paid no heed to their surroundings, so focused they were on maintaining the wall of fire's onerous crawl. They counted on their comrades to watch their back, and yet the CCCP were deep in the thick of melee combat with the troopers. Only Red Savior saw the squad of a half-dozen troopers charge from the flames at the right flank of her flamethrowers. She took off towards them, throwing a ball of energy to divert their attention. It burst in their path, staggering two who bore the brunt for their comrades. The other four trained their weapons on her friends and cut loose. The beams tore into Svetok and Firebird with lethal precision. Firebird, whom Red Savior had lectured endlessly about wearing better protective covering, despite the weight, crashed into the ground at a sickening angle. Svetok did not fall, yet the beams had gouged a hole the size of a soccer ball in his torso. Flames licked out of his horrendous wound. A look of confusion came over his face as his bodily functions shut down. Strangely, the trooper's beams had missed the giant supernaut. 
He looked around wildly as two-thirds of the flame wall disappeared. "'The Sealy!' she shouted, her voice hoarse with sobbing. "'We need more fire!' "'You will have it, Sestra!' Supernaut bulled forth, adjusting controls on his armor. The squad turned their weapons on him. She swooped down to collide with the frontmost trooper, unleashing her energy to knock him back into the others. She and the Nazis collapsed into a pile of armored and unarmored limbs. The heated armor seared her skin through her bloody uniform. Red Savior struggled to her feet first, avoiding grasping hands, in time to be blown over by a massive, fiery explosion erupting from Supernaut's vicinity. The Delex trucks bowled over, back into the second wave of Nazis and their war machines. Everyone on Red Square was dashed to the ground. Those in the heart of the firestorm, the remaining Nazi troopers, dropped their weapons as they became living bonfires. Natalia heard them screaming through the helmet radio of the nearest trooper. Oh, Vasily, she said. You crazy bastard. Fortunately, only the strongest of the CCCP were close enough to the blast to feel its effect. Supernaut knew how to control fire up to his dying moment. Workers' champion and Molotov smoldered, their clothing destroyed. Chug did not appear to have noticed the explosion. He bellowed and smashed the nearest Nazi into pulp. It's best not to start fights you can't finish, she told her opponent in Russian. He cocked his head and started to shake. Red Savior took a step towards him, ready to capitalize on his fear. But his rifle arm lurched straight up in the air, as if a puppeteer had tugged his strings. She felt the hum before she heard it. The two war machines floated above the conflict, rattling teeth with their eerie gravity-defying propulsion system. Something flashed past her, flying up into the sky. The helmet of the trooper People's Blade had beheaded. The trooper before her followed, clamping his arms to his side as though he were a rocket. Every Nazi trooper stopped fighting as invisible strings tugged them into the air and to the hull of the war machines, which began to resemble an oversized iron dandelion. They rotated in the air to find space for the troopers, who impacted with flat metallic thuds. Defeated troopers, dead or unconscious, floated up into the magnetic net cast by the war machines. Stop them! she called desperately. Don't let them escape! It was too late. The magnetic pull was too powerful. Those with the physical strength to resist it hadn't had enough warning to brace themselves and take hold of a fallen trooper. The CCCP and the protesters watched the war machines spin in the black smoke, catching their troops. Without ceremony, they gained altitude and vanished into the clouds. The attack had taken a dreadful toll on her team. Of her roster of seventeen heroes, only five had survived. Herself, People's Blade, Soviet, Chug, and Soviet Bear, assuming the doctors could restore him to consciousness, plus Worker's Champion and Molotov. The rest were dead. Petrograd and Supernaut had deliberately sacrificed themselves without knowing if their deaths would be enough to turn the tide. Others, Jarovit, Rekvium, Dynamo, Netapir, died facing a superior foe without flinching. And still others gave themselves up to save the lives of the innocents, 
Firebird and Svetok, the old men Russian winter and Trans-Siberian, fire and ice. But it was the death of Tigana Zemanov, and her last act of defiance that gave them the knowledge to win the day. If they really had won the day. The militia and army had arrived to clean up the aftermath. Ambulances jostled for position, hospital helicopters hovered overhead, and paramedics shouted orders. Red Savior stood apart from her comrades, sipping a cup of coffee, refusing medical attention from passing paramedics. Body bags lined the square. Each was a needle in her heart. She'd screamed herself hoarse in the fighting, and now she wanted to be silent. If she spoke, despair would pour out like a thunderstorm and wash over her. Reporters led camera crews around the periphery of the square. They strained against the police cord and tape to capture glimpses of the carnage. The reporters pressed their earpieces to their heads and shouted questions to anyone within hearing range. People's blades stepped over the plastic body bags with an almost surreal air of calm. The spirit who'd shared her body had led armies for the Zhao dynasty. This slaughter rated low on the scale of atrocities Shen Zhui had seen, or instigated himself. Natalia, she said in her patronizing instructor voice, you haven't the luxury of shock right now. Please, center yourself. I am fine. I'm alive. Fei Li touched her hand. Your chi is polluted with rage and despair. Calm yourself using the breathing techniques I taught you. Red Savior glared at her. I forgot them. Vodka works better anyway. Then secure some. You will need to be a leader again. Very soon. She bowed and retreated. Setting down her tea, she tapped at her lapel comm unit. The white noise of an open line greeted her. The radio was no longer jammed. Meet me by Savior's Gate, she murmured into it. The gate had taken several direct hits, demolishing the iron grill and parts of the stone facade. Natalia reflected that the damage actually helped evacuate people faster, preventing a stampede and bottleneck. The ceremonial guard's halberd lay on the ground. She wondered if he survived the attack. Her people gathered, pale-faced and silent. Only People's Blade retained her serene countenance. Any word on casualties? She let the question hang. Three hundred and counting, workers' champion said. He wore a borrowed militia jacket over his demolished suit. Indications are this was an isolated incident. I doubt that, People's Blade said. The Nazis utilized military force and discipline in their deployment. That implies they were part of a larger force, which in turn implies that their masters have a purpose served by a larger force. She answered Workers' Champion Scowl with a small smile. I recommend we issue warnings to the United Nations. One moment, 
Red Savior said. She adjusted her comm unit to tune into Interpol's bulletin system. A reedy voice spoke over the tiny speaker. Strikes in Prague, Atlanta, Las Vegas, Hong Kong, Jerusalem, Tehran, Sydney. She shut it off, her mouth a grim line. Invasion, she said. They've been biding their time ever since we beat them back in the Great Patriotic War, workers' champion said. Sixty years of plotting to take over to the world. Perhaps not, People's Blade said. What we fought today was nothing more than a small expeditionary force. Regardless of their individual power, the troop allotment was too small to occupy any territory. They killed most of CCCP, Rage colored his voice. That may have been the goal. The Chinese woman turned to Red Savior. The gentle wind through the grasslands. Spare us your poetry, Worker's Champion said. It's a military maneuver from her time, Red Savior said, moving her hands as though they were a gust of wind. Attack fast, without entrenching. Retreat quickly when you've done your damage. Molotov's eyebrows rose. Blitzkrieg. Hmm. Worker's champion scowled more. Perhaps she's correct. She often is. Molotov pursed his lips. But Blitzkrieg was often followed by an occupying force. Unless Germany has been hiding an army of giants in basements, that seems unlikely. Red Savior fished out her cigarettes. They had been crushed in the course of the battle, with no smokable survivors. She threw the pack to the ground. I hate mysteries. So, what now, Commissar? Soviet's smooth contralto broke the silence. Don't ask me. The council was about to fire me. Worker's champion grunted. We'll see about that. Without ceremony, he turned and walked off. An ambulance backed into sight. Rescue workers knelt by a girl, the American who Natalia had rescued. Her head was swathed in bandages. The burly paramedic hefted her into the back of the ambulance. As Red Savior watched, the girl looked up from her stupor and met her gaze. Natalia touched her head. The little girl, after a pause, did the same. The paramedic fussed her hand away from the wound and loaded her onto a gurney out of view. As the reporter shouted, mourners wailed, the militia counted the dead and paramedics dressed wounds. She explored the exhausted faces of her comrades, thinking, War has found Russia again. The wait is over. The first book of Steve Levy's Aquapura trilogy is available now from Subatomic Books. Meet Crixisoran, a plumber on an epic odyssey of redemption through an ancient world. Want to try before you buy? Listen to the free audiobook or download the free ebook 
or subscribe to a chapter a day through your email. Log on to www.aquapuratrilogy.com for more information. Echo is hiring. Log on to www.echometahumans.com and join the Echo Mock Street team. Your mission? Spread the word about the Secret World Chronicle.